0: The following message, entitled, Called to be Holy, Part 2 of the series, Joy Inexpressible, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 4th of October, 2012, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, Lord, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to gather here and to to look into Your Word, Lord. And your, your Word is powerful, living and active, Lord. And I pray that Your Word would accomplish what it was set out to do this morning. I pray that You would help us, Lord, as a result of this message this morning, to leave here being more like Jesus, being more holy as You've called us to be. Lord, we also pray for Mark and Joe. We pray that You would bless them, Lord, as... Mark preaches in Tennessee, as Joe preaches in Pittsburgh. We pray that you would give them a love for the people, give them a compassion, and give them a a boldness to speak your truth. And we pray that your word would accomplish its purpose in those places as well. Lord, be with me this morning as I seek to preach the meaning of this passage. I declare my dependence on you, Lord. I can do nothing apart from you. And I know you want to help us. So I'm thankful that you'll do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In his book, The Hole in Our Holiness, which I I highly recommend, uh, Kevin DeYoung describes that oftentimes many Christians can feel the same way about holiness, about being obedient to the commands of God's Word, as he feels about camping. Listen to how he describes it and see if you relate. He says, I've never understood the attraction of camping... Although I have plenty of friends and relatives who are avid campers, it always seems strange to me that someone would work hard all year so they can go live outside for a week. I get the togetherness stuff, but why do it in tents with community toilets and mosquitoes? Who decided that vacation should be like normal life, only harder? He goes on to say, I know there are a lot of diehard campers in the world. I don't fault you for your hobby. It's just not my thing. Camping is one more thing I don't need to worry about in life. It may be great for other people, but I'm content to never talk about it, never think about it, and never do it. Knock yourself out with the cooler and collapsible chairs, but camping is not required of me, and I'm fine without it. Unfortunately, I think many Christians can look at holiness and obedience like Kevin looks at camping. We don't really care about it. Maybe maybe you feel like it's just not your thing. I think we can all feel that way at times. So I think this passage is going to really give us a kick in the pants to get us back on track this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, let's read the whole passage, verses 13 through 21. And and as as we're reading this, the message of this passage is very simple. We're called to be holy. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded so that your faith and hope are in God. What I, what I love about this passage, and what I love about the Bible in general, is that the do's, the things that we are called to do as Christians, the commands, are never, ever disconnected from the did's, what God has done. And that little word that this passage begins with, the word therefore, links the call to be holy, our responsibility, our responsibility, back to what we learned last week in chapter 1, that that God has called us to be born again, to walk in newness of life. He's given us a living hope. And that work that Jesus Christ did, that, that fuels all of this holiness, this call to do things, to conduct ourselves in a holy manner, to be obedient. I love the word, therefore. It gives us such hope. So we want to remember as as we're being motivated to be holy this morning, that this is linked to the work that Christ did. Holiness doesn't bring us to Christ. Christ brings us to holiness. We need to remember that. I love how Peter lays out the game plan for holiness like a a veteran coach. First, he addresses our mental attitude. He, He wants us to get our heads in the game. He addresses our thoughts. He wants us to get in the zone. Second, he clearly states our assignment, our goal, perfect execution on every play, to be holy. And finally, he'll motivate us with a pep talk that will remind us that our holiness, our success, was already purchased for us by Christ, by his precious blood. That really will give us hope. So, those are the three points. The first point is is based on verse 13. Point one Prepare your mind for holiness. Verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Last week, Mark preached that we are we're not of this world. We, we who are saved, who have trusted in Jesus, are exiles in a foreign land. We're, we're not of the world we're just in the world and we're just passing through and we have a destination that we need to set our hope on so we're exiles and Peter Peter commands us to prepare our minds for action there there are a lot of things in this world that can distract Christians from their mission from our call to be holy prepare your minds for action in essence Peter is saying roll up the sleeves of your minds You've got to get... It's, it's almost like we have this, this laziness in the way we think about Christianity at times. Like we have a Snuggie on our brain just sitting on the spiritual lazy boy and we need to rip that Snuggie off. We need to roll up the sleeves of our minds and we need to get ready for action. He says, be sober-minded. We don't just drift into holiness. We've got to be serious about it. We've got to get our head in the game. I remember uh, when I was in high school... I I played football, and one cold November evening before a big playoff game, uh, my friend and I, Booger, his name was Booger. um, And that just reveals his, well, I'll let you figure out why he was called Booger. But Booger and I were, we were fooling around. We were supposed to be doing warm-ups. We were supposed to be practicing before the game. And I just remember, as we're laughing and carrying on, this big hand grabbing my face mask. And jerking my head around and I came face to face with my coach who began to, to yell at me with spit flying out of his mouth. Get your head in the game, Mundorf. I think, I think Peter is grabbing your face mask right now. And he's telling us, get our head in the game. We need to be serious. We need to be sober minded. We need to prepare our minds for action. Recently I, I read a book called With Winning in Mind. And it was written by an Olympic gold medalist who interviewed several other Olympic gold medalists about their, their methods of preparation before their events. And one of the common things that he found was that these Olympic gold medalists before their event would, would do this mental visualization, this, this mental preparation, where they would think about, thinking about competing in their event with success and precision. And then they would all picture themselves winning with winning in mind. They would all picture themselves winning. They would even go so far as to picture themselves on the podium and and receiving the gold medal. And when Peter says in verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, I was thinking, you know, that that technique may not be just psychological mumbo-jumbo, it may actually be biblical. We we are to get our heads in the game by by thinking about by setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, and that grace that grace is going to be wonderful. Just just a part of that grace is, you know, if you have aches and pains right now, if you have tendinitis in your elbow like me or cough due to cold or or maybe some serious aches and pains those are going to be gone. Part of receiving that grace is receiving a new body when Jesus comes. He's going to take that all away. He's also going to take away the temptations that, that we still have dwelling within us. And so, we're to set our mind on the grace. We're to look ahead. We're to begin with the end in mind. But here's the difference. When Peter says, set your mind fully on the hope that will be brought to you. Here's the difference between our hope and the athlete's hope. The athlete's hope, it's not certain. It's it's nothing more than uncertain expectation. They're hoping that they win the gold. They're trying to make themselves believe that they win the gold. They're trying to conjure up positive thinking. But you know what? Our hope is more than an uncertain expectation. Our hope is anchored in the concrete reality. We have a full assurance that Jesus is coming back one day and that He's going to bring that grace with Him and He's going to take us away, give us a new body. We're going to live with Him forever in glory. And that, that's, that's truth. That's anchored in truth. So it's not, we're not hoping in the same sense that the athlete's hoping in when they have winning in mind. That truth of future grace will motivate you to live a holy life now. I like how the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We're to look to Jesus the whole time of our exile. We're to never take our eyes off of Jesus. He's coming back someday. And we can get so distracted by the things of this world, but the author of Hebrews tells us, lay them aside. Lay aside every weight and sin that hinders you. And that's where Peter's going to bring us back to, the present, in point two. He's going to tell us how to do this and how to live it out in our lives right now as as we're exiles. We're not there yet. We're hoping in that day. But we need to know what do we do now. So point two is based on verses 14 through 17. Point two is our, our assignment, our goal. What do we do right now? Well, we be holy. That's what we do. This is our assignment. It's plain and simple, it's black and white. Be holy. Basically, being holy just means simply to be like Jesus. Jesus was pure. Jesus was sinless. And God is calling us to be like Jesus. That should be our goal. That should be what we strive for. God's end goal for every Christian is the same. If this is God's goal, it should be our goal. I believe that we are here right now to be like Jesus. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is telling us that God's goal is to make us like Jesus. Ephesians 4.15 tells us alike that we are to grow up in every way. In every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. If this is God's goal, shouldn't it be our goal too? Shouldn't our life goal be to be holy? To be like Jesus? Being holy means to be obedient. Peter says, as obedient children. And as I studied for this passage, I realized that Jesus Himself talked about obedience more than I think anyone in the New Testament Jesus was concerned with our obedience. Jesus said things in, like in Matthew 7.21. He said this, and this is eye-opening. Listen to this. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Jesus is concerned with what we do. Jesus said in another place, If, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Peter tells us in verse 14 what, what else holiness is. Another, another thing that holiness is. Look how he puts it in 14. He says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Being holy simply means not falling back into your old way of life. Not being conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In the Old Testament, when God brought His children, Israel out of slavery in the land of Egypt. He, he brought them out of slavery and then he told them, he said, don't act like the Egyptians anymore. Don't do the things that they did. I'm your God. Follow my rules and my statutes. And you know, the fact is, guys, if, if you're a Christian, God has brought you out of your Egypt, out of your former way of life. And we're to be holy. We're to follow His commands now we're not to fall back into the passions of our former ignorance and these passions by the way they still dwell within every one of us god hasn't delivered us from the presence of sin yet he's delivered us from the penalty of sin he's delivered us from the power of sin but the presence of sin sin still dwells with us until that day when when we'll experience his grace in the fullest that's one of the reasons we look forward to that day We still have these passions in us, don't we? We still have these sinful desires. And these sinful desires, these passions, are, I think, the number one enemy of holiness. Listen to how Jerry Bridges puts it in his book, The Discipline of Grace. He he calls them evil desires. He says, The evil desire within us constantly searches for occasions to express itself. It is like a radar system whose antenna is constantly scanning the environment for temptations to which it can respond. I identify with this. This is so true. Listen, he says, Though we can be tempted by most anything, each of us has certain sins we are more inclined to. Realize that your temptation antenna is constantly scanning your environment, looking for those areas of sin. That's so true. We all have these sinful appetites that still dwell within us. You know, you know what yours are. You know where you're most vulnerable. You know what your temptations are that you struggle with. And I, I want to help you this morning. I, I know God wants to help you, and I think one way is just telling you, know them. Know what those are. Know yourself. That's going to help you. When you know what those passions of your former ignorance are, you're not going to fall into their deceitful tricks as easily. I, I, don't know, I don't know what yours are. Everybody's is different. Maybe, maybe you're tempted to have a short temper or to, to grumble and complain. Maybe you're, you're always tempted to find fault and to criticize. Know them. Know, know what they are. Because when you let them come back into your life, even a little bit, they're going to snowball. You've got to stop them at the thought. It's, it's kind of like, like immorality or adultery, for example. You know, nobody just falls into an adulterous relationship. It begins with little indiscretions and fantasies. It begins in your thoughts. And Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Cut it off at the thought. Don't let it in. Your former ignorance will lie to you. Here's one of the ways my former ignorance has lied to me. My former ignorance has said things to me like, oh, but we are... We are no longer under the law, we are under grace now. And my you have Christian liberty. You can you can do this. It's okay. You can handle it. But I love what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians. He says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So we need to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves questions like this Am I am I more concerned with my my Christian liberty? than I am with holiness, than obeying God. If you're concerned, if the Holy Spirit raises a little red flag up in your conscience that something is sinful or not good for you, don't do it. Don't do it. Err on the side of caution. Don't see how close to the edge of the cliff you can get. If you want to be holy, see how far from the edge of the cliff you can stay. That's holiness. That's holiness. Your, your passions that want to conform you to their former ignorance, they're going to say things like this. Oh, just, you know, just see how many drinks you can take without getting drunk. You can still stay sober. Just a little buzz. It's not going to hurt you. Your passions are going to tell you things like, see how far you can go with your girlfriend or boyfriend without going too far. I mean, you can get up there close to the line. It's okay. You can handle it. Your passions are going to tell you that you can watch that movie that, the Holy Spirit raised the little red flag in your conscience, maybe you better not. Oh, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. They're going to lie to you. If you're tempted to gossip when you're on Facebook, quit Facebook. Close your account. If you're tempted to lust when you watch TV, shut it off. Better yet, get rid of your TV. You know, Jesus took holiness serious. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Jesus took this seriously and so should we. I want to tell you, it, it's worth it. It is worth it. You, you will have joy. You won't be miserable anymore. You will have joy when you walk in the ways that God has called us to walk. The Psalms are full of promises about blessing, being blessed as we walk in godliness. But it takes effort. It takes, it's hard. It's not easy. And I, I love what D.A. Carson had said about it. He said, People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we've been liberated. Holiness is hard work. But I want to encourage you that when you put forth effort, dependence on the Holy Spirit, He's going to enable you to do it. Now you might be thinking right now, what's He saying? Is He telling us that we need to be per- perfect, sinfully perfect? Is that even possible? Well, find comfort in what the Apostle Paul said. I I don't want to overqualify this. Peter is calling us to be holy. Peter is calling us to set our goal to be like Jesus. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Find comfort in this. Philippians 3, 12-14. He says about everything we've been talking about, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If I had to encourage you in one way, I would encourage you to be holy, to try to be holy by by getting into God's Word. Jesus said when He prayed for us, He said, Sanctify them in the truth. That means make them holy in the truth. Then He said, Your Word is truth. He prayed that to His Father. You can't be holy apart from the Word of God. You can't be holy apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to just try to put this into practice in, in the little things. Don't, I mean, if you want to memorize the book of the Bible, that's great. But I would encourage you, don't think about huge things like memorizing a book of the Bible. Think about just making the right decisions in the little things, day by day, hour by hour. That's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to become holy and be more like Jesus. And the Spirit of God is going to help you. He wants to help you to do that. Look at, look at this other motivation that Peter gives us in verse 17. Peter says in verse 17, And if you call on Him as Father, if you call yourself a Christian, if you say God is your Father, if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I don't know what that sounds like to you, but to me that sounds like fear-driven motivation for obedience. That, that may be controversial. That may be something that you've heard is wrong. But to me this verse sounds like fear-driven motivation for obedience. It says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about this too. Jesus said things like He said in Matthew 10, 28. He said to His own disciples, not to a bunch of pagans, to his own disciples, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The fear, the fear of God will help you to be holy. I remember, I remember sitting at a red light after I drove through the IUP campus at, by the tennis courts, that red light. Years ago, I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. And I was, I was sitting in my little Chevy truck and I was there for just long enough to hear the pastor on the radio read this passage. And this passage, by the way, is something that every one of us will experience. He read this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. into the lake of fire. That passage hit me like a ton of bricks. I I just heard him say, according to what they had done. And all I could think about was the way I had been living. All I could think about was the, the things that I was doing over and over and over again that I knew were displeasing to God. I felt like all I had to offer to God on that day were just filthy rags. And God spoke fear, a healthy fear, a good fear, into me that day, which brought true repentance from some of the ways that I had been living. I think some of us can think that on that day, when we go to stand before Jesus, we're, we're going to be running up and giving Him a high five, or like, I think someone told me about this new country song that talks about sitting down and having a beer with Jesus. I don't think it's going to be anything like that. I don't think it's going to be like that at all. I think our, our initial reaction on that day is going to fall, be, to fall flat on our face before his, his awesome holiness and power. That's fearing God. That's the kind of fear that should motivate us to know and to follow His Word. And I want to tell you if, you, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, there is no condemnation. We don't fear condemnation. No, we fear, we fear displeasing a good and loving Heavenly Father who saved us from our sins. We fear walking off of His path of blessing. True holiness will result in joy. And this fear motivates us. God wants to bless us. Let let me just say, I don't want anyone to be confused. When when Peter calls us to be holy, he's not talking about our our positional holiness. Please, Please get this. I don't want anyone to be confused and think I'm saying something I'm not. He's not talking about Our justification. If you've trusted in Christ, all your sins have been forgiven and wiped clean. God has declared you holy. But, but, we we have this what Peter's talking about this experiential holiness, where the rubber meets the road. Our conduct, our deeds. Do you see all those words he says? Our obedience. It's not talking about justification. He's talking about our sanctification. He's talking about the process of, of us becoming like Jesus. That's the kind of holiness that He's calling us to. And I believe the fear, of the, Lord, the fear of the Lord works both ways. If you're not a Christian, then you should fear condemnation. You should fear an eternity in hell. You should fear standing before God and His holiness and power. But if you are a Christian and you've been made holy positionally, you should still fear the Lord. The Psalms tell us, the Psalms tell us all kinds of stuff about fearing the Lord. For example, Psalm 112 1 says, Blessed, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Do you delight greatly in his commandments? Or Psalm 128, one Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Do you fear the Lord enough to know, to learn his ways? and then to walk in them. The fear of the Lord is a great motivation for holiness. And I want to tell you from, from the bottom of my heart, this fear of the Lord that brings holiness, will bring, it will bring joy to you. Walking in God's ways will bring true joy into your life. Jesus called it fullness of joy. Life to the fullest. It might seem restrictive, but it's not. It's the way to true joy. So we've talked about preparing our minds for action. We've talked about our goal, our assignment to be holy. And finally, finally, the third point is based on verses 18 through 21. And we're going to see here the whole basis for this call to holiness. Point three our confidence for holiness. Jesus' blood. Verse 18 starts with the word knowing. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Just take a second and zoom in on that first word. Knowing. God wants us to know something. You want to, be, you want to be holy? You want to be obedient? You've got to know something. This is our responsibility. We've got to know this truth that follows. That's why this passage started with the word, Therefore, Peter wants to anchor us in the truth that Jesus purchased holiness for us. Don't get it backwards. Holiness, being holy, living a life that obeys all of God's commandments is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. You've got to trust in Jesus. And you've got to know what Peter says in verses 18 through 21. What Peter says in verses 18 through 21 is that it's the truth. It's the truth that our faith needs to be rooted in for us to bear the fruit of holiness. It's the root. What we do, the holiness is just the fruit. Don't ever get it backwards. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. This explains it well. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Are you rooted in Jesus Christ? Are you rooted in the truth of His Gospel? if you're not rooted in that truth, if if you're not established firmly in that foundation, you're not going to be able to bear fruit for holiness. You're just going to tape fake apples onto your tree, and on the last day, Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You've got to be rooted in the Gospel. You've got to be rooted in the fact that Jesus, Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, sinless. He was holy. Then, Then he hung on a cross and suffered God's full wrath for the sins that you and I who trust in him have committed. You've got to be rooted in that fact. All of your dependence and faith need to be drawn from that fact. If they're not, you're never going to bear true fruit of holiness. Do you know, like this passage says, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers? Do you know that you were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ? Do you know? Jesus said, Jesus said this You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You've got to know the truth. Jesus wants you to know this. He wants you to anchor your faith into this. Find find hope in this. I love this passage because this passage gives us such hope for the holiness it calls us to. It starts off by telling us to prepare our minds for action. And it tells us to set our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to us at the coming of Jesus Christ. So, so we have, we have this, this truth that's still future, this future grace that will motivate us as we set our hope on that to holiness, to holy living now. But then, then we have this knowing... What what Peter just said, this this past event, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus died for our sins, rose again to give us newness of life. We have these two things, one in the front, one in the back, like I think of a a push-pull train, one of those trains that has a, a locomotive engine in the front, pulling it, and a locomotive engine in the back, pushing it. And that's what Peter gives us in this passage. We have the Gospel of Jesus Christ pushing us, driving us, All our faith rooted in that. We have this coming event of future grace to look forward to, pulling us. And here we are in the middle, situated between these two locomotives of of motivation, of power, accompanied by the Holy Spirit to help us with our effort. And the great thing about this passage, the great thing about that truth, is that both of those locomotives that give us hope, that give us faith, that give us motivation, both of those locomotives are powered by our only hope for this life and for the future. Jesus Christ. So if we could have the band come up, we're going to pray and just ask God to make us more like Jesus. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the kick in the pants that we need at times. Lord, I pray that this Word would cause us to become more like Jesus. Lord, that's where, that's where true life is. I know You want that for all of us. I pray, Lord, that Your Word would accomplish what it was set out to do today. Father, Your Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let Your Word cut us where we need cut this morning. And let the effect be holiness, a life pleasing to you, worthy of the gospel, filled with joy. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.